Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Access Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, the Media Excellence Awards, and your host for Media Maven Podcast, my co-host, Michelle Koshman, CEO of AMB Publicity. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sarah. Good to see Always good to be good with to you. you. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> the new normal is using Zoom. The new abnormal, absolutely. FaceTime. It's all about the FaceTime, which brings us to our guest right now. I'm super excited to have this guy on the, as our guest on the podcast. So I want to introduce John Petroselli. He's the CEO and founder of Bulldog DM, a live streaming platform. Hi, John. Welcome to Media Mavens. Hi, John. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to have you. It's so funny because I think most of our conversations start out with good to see you. I meant talk to you. I meant whatever we're doing in this new normal is all about <laughs> COVID and content. And everybody's upset because the community of getting together to watch concerts and everything live and events is completely on hold until I think next spring. But the we've talked about a few other of our guests and now with you is that live streaming was great back then, but it's really taken off some steam right now because the only way to engage and access communities and content with, you know, by being safe and not being present. Give us a little bit. I haven't talked to you in a while, but give us a little bit about what you're doing, how you've evolved through all of this and where you guys are at right now. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, we're a uh, live streaming company that's really focused on the premium end of the content you know, spectrum. So we've focused a lot of our business on you know, engaging with, for instance, brands and Madison Ave and, and, and brand marketers, as well as content creators. So, you know, as a business kind of heading into this, you know, our customer base included, you know, AT&T, Nestle, Snickers, Coca-Cola, Samsung, Jeep, Nissan, Hyundai. A lot of that was, to your point, working with them around their experiential activations and then helping them amplify those events out to a much larger connected, you know, media audience. And, you know, that's been a terrific and super compelling business for us. And obviously that all pretty much went away with the onset of, of the pandemic. And, you know, things got quiet literally for about 48 hours and then strategies start to emerge on, you know, how do we get into virtual experiences? How do we keep engaged? You know, how do we uh, you take something that you would normally go to like a conference and bring that to the virtual realm, both how do we take all the, you know, the content, the keynotes, the fireside chats, you know, the, the interviews and turn that into an online video experience that can be, you know, viewed by, you know, people everywhere. And what we've seen emerge is, you know, everyone under lockdown has sent this market into, you know, hyper, you know, warp speed. I think in uh, April, you know, Twitch commented that there were 1.6 billion hours of live content consumed just, you know, in a record breaking month. And pretty noteworthy, you know, 27,000 of those hours were music, which is pretty new to Twitch. And then in parallel, I think Facebook, rec you know, mentioned that there were 800 million people a day consuming live video on Facebook and Instagram. And we've clearly seen this, you know, happen across, you know, a number of different, you know, customer partners and, and experiences as well. Now you started out because I know when I met you, you were 
was it back at in the AEG when we were their PR firm? You started out in streaming live concerts and musics, right? Are you still, I mean, how are you handling the shift of the music industry now? And are you still kind of creating new ways for entertainment or are you sticking to other more obvious live streaming content given the pandemic right now? Yep, um, I did. I, I had a small boutique uh, company, it's a live streaming company. I sold to AEG, and we were very heavily involved in in that world. And you know, previous to that, I had worked with Prince for five years. And I helped him build his direct to consumer music store and his ticketing platform. And you know, the live music business has grown to a you know a twenty five billion dollar industry that largely right now is completely suspended and on hold. And I'm sure you've seen. You know, Mark Geiger's comments that he doesn't believe we're going to get back to in-venue ticketed experiences until, you know, sometime towards the end of next year or maybe the year after. Do you, do you agree with that? I mean, I just not to care, but I mean, I do think rest of this year, everybody's pretty much staying away and we're on kind of a freeze. But like, I mean, we've talked to a few CEOs of the NBA who we've been interviewing and they are all gearing up for fan seats coming up back in your butt back in the seat to watch a game March, April is when they're starting to get ticket sales sold. Do you really think music is going to be that far off versus everybody else? Or do you think it's optimistic that we're all going to be back in these concerts and events end of spring next year? I mean, unfortunately, I think that's very ambitious. Uh, I think the general public would like to see uh, a, a vaccine adopted. I think, you know, younger consumers would would rather be back at these shows. And, you know, what's noteworthy to to us is, you know, we look at the plight of, of uh, NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, whom we're now working with. These are, you know, 2,800 independent music venues across the United States that were the first to close as a result of the pandemic and they'll also be the last to open. And if they don't get some form of relief, 90% of those are going to flat out go out of business. And, you know, they're looking or lobbying for the establishment of an emergency relief fund, you know, to bring some stability back to these venues who were the launching pads of the greatest bands in the history of, of the music industry. But more importantly, they're also where we all go to discover, you know, new and emerging talent. And if that, part of the ecosystem goes away. That's, that's, you know, dire straits. That's very troubling. And hopefully, you know, these things can, hopefully the process will be sped up. There'll be, you know, there'll be a vaccination or there'll be some kind of relief, but uh, we've paid particular attention to that. And, you know, in the interim, you're probably have seen bands perform in their living rooms or, you know, in their bedrooms. And we've definitely done a considerable amount of work there um, also to help elevate the quality of those shows. And now I think we're starting to step into the realm of live stream pay-per-view concerts where we're also providing services in that world too. Well, and I think, I think that's a great point because John, a lot of these artists, obviously their tours are canceled, obviously, you know, they're getting back in the studios right now, but I would think a lot of these artists would continue. And that's why we have live stream because they can still connect with their fans. They can still expose everybody to their music and their lifestyle via live streaming. So I would think more, I'm surprised more artists are not utilizing technology like this to do 
at-home concerts, at-home events. Because remember back when Livestream became big, everybody's like, oh my God, I can't sit through three hours of a huge concert or a, an event on my TV or my screen. But right now we don't have any choice. We've got to embrace this new normal, lean on tech. So I'm surprised that more artists are not embracing and taking this endeavor on to stay active, to stay engaged, to keep their consumers entertained throughout COVID. A good point. I, I think you're going to see more of them uh, are going to adopt it largely due to the fact that, you know, there is not going to be, you know, touring and, and festivals for, you know, who knows how many months. And what we've, I think, initially noticed, well, the, the interesting thing about live streaming is right now, everybody, and I mean, everybody has live streamed something, you know, a Zoom call, if you're, you know, a student, if you're a kid, you took some sort of a, of a class online, you, you know, people have streamed the news, they've watched uh, those versus performances on Instagram, you've literally seen it. We even delivered the, uh, uh, the virtual high school graduation for the New York City High School class of, of 2020 as a, as a virtual experience. So there's definitely been a learned behavior. You know, our, our belief is that once we do go back to, uh, you know, ticketed experiences, live streaming will be a logical extension because on the flip side, all the musicians now have pretty much done something you know, they may have been reticent in the, in the past because of what if they had an off performance or it wasn't their best, you know, night now they're in their living rooms and, you know, their husbands or wives are walking through or, you know, their dog is, <laughs> is entering the set. And ironically, if we've done a lot of tracking of even the Gen Z demographic, that's what they like. They prefer to see a, uh, you know, a candid, authentic experience with, with artists. And that's what has definitely transpired. It's, it's authentic. It's authentic and it's real. It's relatable. It's not just the smoke and mirrors and makeup and sets from perfection. I would rather, cause we've done a lot. It's like when we had AG as a client, we did a lot of, stuff with a few big artists, Bon Jovi, Black Eyed Peas. We've just did so much Red Hot Chili Peppers. And it was so authentic, up close and personal. And I just felt when those were back in the days on demand, I just feel like having somebody in their living room play the guitar and rip jeans with their, you know, I call it COVID culture without salons of low dryers or a baseball hat. I just think that's mm-hmm. where you're going to get the most traction, the most fans, because that backstory of that you're a human being and this is life. I think that is such a pivotal, smart move for a lot of these artists. Yeah, I, I think um, we're going to see a, a, a movement towards, and you've seen this reported recently, towards the you know pay-per-view shows. And these are where the bands can kind of up the quality of the performance. They can access, uh, you know, a stage or a studio and even, you know, uh, go on a virtual tour. So they might do a number of performances, but segment them to different parts of the world. So Saturday night, the first night might be, you know, North America. And then, you know, later they might do a show for uh, Mexico or for their fans in Europe. So there's one, that's one of the ways and they could create, um, you know, bundled services as well. So ticket price, a, you, you know, you, you enter the show for an, uh, an increase, maybe we unlock uh, multiple camera feeds and for a different price, it's a ticket plus merchandise. And then even, you know, the meet and greet capability. So we can actually do a post, 
uh, VIP session, like a Zoom session with the band. So those are all models that are um, that are being developed right now and they're being utilized. And we were doing that with some clients now, but that becomes an interesting way for them to replace that lost revenue. And also for brands, you know, they can present these shows as well. Uh, you know, a brand could, AT&T could buy, uh, you know, 5,000 tickets to an artist show and say, hey, if you sign up early, AT&T is going to take you, you know, to that experience. Or they could just simply present that, branded experience inside of the, of the user experience. So there's a lot of possibilities. What we're really seeing is the artists are getting really creative and coming up with these interesting ideas. And we're trying to make sure that the technology, you know, can support what they're looking to do. Do you think once we go back to, I mean, we're all hoping, knock on wood, I mean, obviously we're all hoping for a, a vaccine and we're back to normal. I know you're saying it's a little aggressive to think March, April, we're back in seats again, but everybody's adapting to the technology and I think a little bit better quality lifestyle. They're being safer. They're more aware. It's more calmer controlled. They're working from home. A lot of people won't go back to work. They want to consume content and entertainment differently. Do you think it's going to be a big split when we eventually go back next year? Or do you think we're going to see more and more people, less ticket sales and more people at home? Because I'm kind of on the fence, you know, just, you know, because we deal with a lot of music and tech with the agency. I feel like, Everybody's going to just flood back out just to get out and be social community and have that fan base interaction and want to be around people and music. But then I kind of feel like they may lean towards comfort of their own home and sharing with friends. I can't really tell the trajectory if ticket sales are always going to be low because it's going to be the new normal way of life or if it's going to boost up or at homes online tickets are going to boost up. I can't tell how this is going to play out next year. Pandemic aside, there's no substitute for being at, at an event of any size, whether you're at the Staples Center or you're at a small intimate like the Troubadour. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed in my career in this industry has been this kind of growth of the experience economy, you know, largely fueled by millennials and Gen Zs who value shared experiences with their friends more so than buying, you know, material possessions. So I think the the full return is going to be largely guided by, you know, the safety and, and health. I think if there was a, a guarantee and an assurance that everyone was going to be safe and the virus was eliminated, I think the market's going to hyper explode. And you've even, I've seen, uh, you know, drawing upon Mark Iger's comments, his belief is that, you know, in the pandemic of 1918, once that finally went away, that gave birth to the roaring 20s. And the belief is, I think I've seen reports from my Goldman Sachs, once there is a return, the market is just going to go off the charts. And, you know, you I think maybe this is also, you know, kind of the quiet period where a lot of artists are creating, you know, new music and new content of, of all kinds. And they're doing a lot more experimenting. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't take as long as, uh, you know, it doesn't take a year. It doesn't take 18 months because when we do return, I think it's going to be a really interesting place in history. And I also think that, you know, tech and video is going to be a big part of it. I think a lot of uh, any types of shows are not just going to have a logical extension into live streaming, which, you know, you could, if you're in Miami and you want to go see this Drake show, you know, you can buy a ticket and go. But if you live in Toronto, you can 
pay-per-view it and buy a, a ticket and have that kind of collaborative experience in real time. I think that's going to be the way the tours of the live event industry is run is going to be the in-presence experience and then the virtual extension. And I think we'll also see things like augmented reality really start to, to kick in and, and drive monetization even further. Yeah, no, I think we're going to hit a bubble. I've been saying for a while, lean on tech, just everything has to correct itself. I think this is just kind of a global cleansing, but I think we're going to hit a very back in the tech go-go days. I think we're going to hit that big bubble where everything's just going to bubble up again. I totally agree with you. And it's just going to be, it's going to be a great time for business. But, you know, my, my big thing is too, is everybody's got to understand the tech. I think the AR, the VRs, the AI, I think everything is going to bubble up towards the end of next year. It's going to be great to see innovation and new ideas and new things pop up. You know, I also think there's also a lot of industries that are going to start adapting to the live streaming for entertainment because we have worked with and spoken to like Singapore Airlines, the head of mobile, just because they submitted for the MEAs. They were a winner two years ago and they just submitted again. So we've been talking to them. And one of their, the VP of mobile, their big issue is, Everybody has to start flying again. I mean, they, we all know the travel industry is hurting. So they're looking for more ways on these long haul trips to keep people more entertained than just stale movies because for a while production halted. So they're talking about incorporating live music, live events downloaded into their flight on first and business class now or for premium and coach. And so it's just an interesting conversation. I think more and more is opening up right now into the live streaming and the delivered content because it's just it's a natural evolution to keep people entertained coming off of being on lockdown for so long yeah you know all the more reason why we're seeing these these explosive you know consumption numbers is yet people have these amazing devices they have great internet connectivity and you know a lot of them are uh, are you know we're all collectively you know on some sort of uh you know temporary watch here and there's, there's an ample opportunity to consume this media and, you know, also the conveyor belt that produces this content is also suspended, which tends to point more to, you know, to live a- as well. So there's a definite, um, it's a curious market, uh, but there definitely is a uh, kind of this focus on real-time collaborative participatory, you know, engagements because everyone does have these devices. They are connected and we're all kind of, you know, riding this out together, which has led to, you know, this kind of explosion in the live video world. I think it's just, you know, as an experiential agency, it's some of the big brands we speak with, it's all about the experience. And I think there's some industries like travel and tourism that are starting to engage that experience via entertainment and content, because let's be honest, they're all going to be fighting to bring their numbers back to drive revenues to build after what happened. And so I think they're getting smarter about how do we stand out? Well, how do we give more value to our consumers and our guests and everything, which kind of like I wanted to ask you about, which is the branding side, because we all know from events, you know, your brand's got to stay live before, during and after an event, not just post the logo that has gone tomorrow. And some of the mobile stuff I know we've worked on where we've crossed paths with you in the past is that consumer experience, that brand experience. Our brands, I mean, it's a great platform for brands because you can live longer online. I get that. But how are you handling the brands and the sponsors on this? I mean, there's no event. So I guess it's a two-point question for you, John, is one, the music industry was already hurting gravely in general. 
is this going to really kind of wipe out what's rest of touring and labels where it's all going to be virtual and tech and digital and or how the brand's going to parlay into saving that because they need live events to be in front of people. Well, the, um, I'm a big big question. Yeah, it is. So (laughs) I've spent the last half decade, um, you know, working with brands, talking to them early on, it was kind of uh, education and evangelism. And, you know, I noticed a trend and the trend is that these brands have three massive, you know, challenges. They have a cord cutting epidemic, which is widely reported and, and known about. They also have a problem with brand safety, and and third, you know, an issue with ad blockers. And these are you know these are very disruptive trends in their industries. And what we've observed is live video is a tremendous tonic and a a solution to those massive challenges. And in effect, you know, you're watching a live stream could be anything, you know, food, fashion, art, culture, learning, music brought to you by a brand, you, you're eliminating those three barriers. You're opting in, your brand is part of the experience, you know, bringing it to you. And what we've endeavored to do is talk about best practices. And, you know, a, a best practice, for instance, is don't just put the video up. You know, surveillance video or webcam video is not really going to connect with today's viewer, fan, or consumer. They might come, they might check it out, but they're not going to engage and they're not going to stick around. So we've looked at things like giving the viewer the ability to change camera perspective, whether it's at a festival, you're changing from stages or a show, you're changing from a director's view to a different camera, you know, in the venue and in the room. And then having done this for so long, I've also learned that the consumer really wants to post, comment, chat, and tweet about what they're watching. And you got to give them that capability to drive this collaborative participatory extended watch time. And, you know, we've all learned that sometimes if it's not moderated, the comments can go, you know, off the rails. They can be offensive and not related to the video. So I think curating the social stream also helps kind of unlock that transformation from viewer to participant. And we've also built tools to do things like, you know, real-time polling, trivia, even a dynamic schedule widget, calls to action, graphics, you know, overlays. And now the viewers really have, they've kind of gone through that experience and now they're really a participant in the stream. Again, regardless of what the, the content is versus just a passive, a passive viewer. And that's, we've seen shows where the audience is watching for 25 minutes on average, or I've done things for Coca-Cola where the average watch time on mobile has been 29 minutes and desktop you know, 113 minutes. And for a brand, that's a home run. I think the average consumer attention span has dropped uh, from 12 seconds five years ago down to about eight seconds. And here brands are able to command someone's attention for significant amounts of time. And not only that, they can get great reporting and data back, you know, from a streaming strategy where people are, how long they're watching, even down to what percentage of the audience might be on iOS, you know, versus Android. So there's great, and it's a fraction of what they might be spending on things like traditional television ads. You know, big, big data is big. I mean, it's all about the big data, these guys, to make sure you're spending and your ROIs where it should be. I just, you know, there's so many brands out there that I just feel like they love, the brands love these big concerts and events and festivals. So I know they've had to take a very big shift in product rollouts you know, since COVID started back in March, we were on a few of the ones we've talked to you have just completely done 360. They've just, you know, yeah. were stuck. Their budgets were pulled back. They can't do any in-person stuff. They were trying to push it into advertising, but 
I just think we are still struggling of where and how to find a place for it. So the streaming side is tremendous because I love the consumer interaction. So if we had a million people on this podcast, all watching, listening, no pressure <laughs> and everything. <laughs> and they want to interact and ask questions and say, hey, you know what? Da, 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 ask this or do this and we'll push through a coupon for a pack of Wrigley's gum. I mean, there's so much we could do that's innovative and creative on the branding side, way more than we could have done. Being on the yeah. grass with 20 people running around, drinking, having fun, not really paying attention if they were doing selfies or just listening to music. So I think this may be a better experience for the brands for a direct push through. And John, I have a question. So you talk about this ample opportunity to be reaching on this digital front. What smaller things could an artist, a project, a new company do? I mean, aside from hiring you at Bulldog DM, what would an artist do? What advice would you have for them right now so that when we come out of this crisis, they haven't sunk into oblivion? Uh, good question. Uh, you know, I think that um, one of the things they can do is it's, you know, it's easy now and very cost effective to have some home equipment with you. So uh, we've even used, I'll give you an example, a Samsung S20 phone which on the front is 4K, on the back, that reverse selfie feature is 8K. So we've actually done, you know, streams. We've actually produced a show for, for Viacom, for linear broadcast, using those devices. So on the one hand, I, I encourage artists to make sure if you're going to go live, and you should, but to, you know, make sure that the, the video, audio, and the lighting are sufficient because you are going to go direct to your fans. They're out there. They're on, you're, they're, you know, artists have really invested very heavily in their social media followings. And, you know, now with your touring suspended, it's a time to get creative, but also experiment and go live. I think, you know, uh, John Mayer does a live show on Instagram every Sunday night and he gets these massive audiences tuning in. And, and second, you know, all of the major social platforms have now, either recommitted or pivoted or prioritized, you know, live video. So you're seeing that on Facebook, which is kind of an early adopter, obviously Amazon's acquisition of Twitch and Twitch moving into music, even LinkedIn. We've done, you know, TikTok is now in the live video business as well. So you have this ability as a, as a creator and an artist to reach your audience on all of those platforms. And, you know, it's probably going to be a lot of work to support all six or seven you know, but you can, you know, you can prioritize and identify where your fans are. Are they on YouTube? Are they on, are they on Facebook? You know, based on who you are as a, as a content creator. And also when, you know, when we do return, most of the venues, the interesting thing about them being dark and dormant right now is they're all getting, they're exploring, you know, retrofitting and bringing in, you know, proper bandwidth connectivity. Now, a lot of them are buying, uh, you know, robotic camera rigs or just installing RoboCams. So the idea of, of honing your chops and streaming now, I think is going to help when you're back on tour and you're performing or you're headlining and, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, I think one of the most noteworthy uh, versus experiences was that babyface Eddie Riley uh, battle, and one of them couldn't yeah. get their equipment to work, and they had to reschedule it. But it showed yeah. that that artist was human, and you know, even though he's a super multi-platinum successful artist, he's in the same position we all are, where the connectivity might not work that day. Or I've had you know situations where 
uh, one day, I'm, one hour I'm on, you know, uh, Zoom, the next hour it's WebEx, and the next hour it's BlueJeans, or it's a Google Hangout. And sometimes your computer, you know, it's hard. The audio, it's like a battle for the audio, and you have to reboot your machine. And, you know, I think artists should understand that, you know, we're all in this together, and there's a way to get great feedback. You know, use these platforms. They aren't, they aren't expensive. You can broadcast on all of them for free. But I would, I would now start to look at how can I go as wide as possible, as frequently as possible, and then start to look at monetization, right? There's, you can actually charge for your performances and drive some income and some revenue that way. I think there's, uh, you know, I, when this started, there were like three pay-per-view platforms and now there are upwards of 50 to a hundred. Yeah. No, I think That's- it's, I think it's tremendous how we're advancing so quickly through all of this. We actually live streamed we were um, did a big fashion run of the fashion shows and we live streamed one of the LA fashion weeks, like a year and a half ago last year for the first time they want to go live. And Oh my God, John, the, um, the connectivity, the bandwidth, the sound, everything and anything that could go wrong went wrong. But I think it was a great learning curve because now we have this downtime, unfortunately to kind of redo, you know, who to work with, what to do and, what's going to make the most sense coming in to next year. So I do yeah, think we're all getting better. It's just, it's just going to keep getting better. I mean, there's no way and, around it. So John, are there things then that consumers can do? Should they invest in their AR goggles, their VR? I mean, what sort of faster service, what sort of things should consumers be doing right now to take advantage of how wide all of these virtual opportunities are getting? Well, I think a lot, well, you've seen the big companies, Google, Twitter, et cetera, they're telling their employees, you're going to be working from home until June, July, or August of next year anyway. So I think it behooves you to whatever, if you're saving money on gas is to maybe reinvest in uh, an external microphone, a better connect, a better internet connection at home. One of those uh, panel lights, and these are all on, you know, on places like Amazon. These are pretty uh, inexpensive tools to help, you know, you have a better both publishing or creating content experience, but also, you know, consuming it as well. Like I have a uh, Apple TV upgraded to the Apple TV, you know, 4K device, and it's been much better, better interface for me. I can consume you know, my media better, um, as well. And, you know, I think if you're listening to music too, you'll have a, a better audio experience. You know, there's some tremendous things you can do as a consumer and also behooves, I, I would try to get smart about, you know, uh, other uh, social media platforms, like, you know, how, how is media consumed and delivered and created and packaged on Snapchat? What's it like on TikTok or, you know, Triller is an emerging platform. It's a good time to, you know, have those experiences. And, you know, there's also a lot of podcasts about, you know, gadgets and devices and knowledge. And a lot of this knowledge is just out there, you know, everywhere. And since we all have a little extra time, it's, it's great ways to learn and acquire and, and find deals as well. I think it's absolutely the consumer, the brand standpoint, because I know a few of the facilities, some of the, um, the big venues are, like you said, John, they're redoing the wiring. They're taking the time to come back with a better live experience. But a lot of them that we've worked with are actually going into the VR, AR space, have built-in AR walls, built-in VR walls without the headsets and cameras. We actually have a guy on the head VPs and co-founders of Twitch coming on our podcast. We do a lot with the AR side. And I think it's not just from the consumers, like you said, what can they do? There's so much equipment out there, but it's also the venues and the brands have got to figure out how to incorporate all this new technology for a better experience when you're actually 
there in their venues. I know a few of them are going to roll out some tremendous, great AR, VR walls built in. It's such an immersive experience while you're in that venue. So I think we have a lot of exciting things to look forward to. Yeah, it's just a question of when are we going to be back out there again, seeing all this. Yeah, that that is the question, and you know, it's it's a moving target almost, almost you know, every day. But people are getting they're getting creative on how to create virtual experiences. You know, we're working with, for instance, Kenny the Jet Smith, who's one of the hosts of Inside the NBA on TNT. He's a two-time NBA champion and Emmy Award winner. And you know, we had a conversation. He said, you know, in the summer, kids all go to basketball camp, not only in the U.S. but around the world. And these camps are taught by pros and you know, great coaches, and that's where you learn the game for the fall when you're going to go out there and play in the winter. And he said, what I want to do is create a, a virtual uh, basketball camp, and we launched that in July and set it up. And he literally is a is a live host and brings in an, uh, an NBA star or a WNBA star each week. And they go through a set of drills. So on, you know, the first player was like Kemba Walker of the Celtics. And on Monday, he's doing a drill for kids and showing them rebounding. The next and Tuesday is passing. And Wednesday is, um, you know, the positive mental attitude at the game. And, you know, Thursday is rebounding. And kids can sign up and they can ask questions. Uh, they can post videos of them doing the drills. And he even thought it out like, hey, if you're stuck at home, you might not have access to a basket. So some of the drills are for, hey, if you don't have a basket, here's, here's, here's how you would conduct this drill. If you don't have someone to rebound for you or to pass, we're going to do a version of it so you know, you're comfortable and familiar with it. And, and then as the kids went back to school, he shifted it to weekends. And, you know, there's a whole seminar on how to, you know, get a scholarship or uh, how to position yourself to, you know, uh, get drafted or learn more about the game. So we're seeing that across the, the spectrum. People are creating these places to fill in the gaps while we're all kind of in this suspended animation and bringing in unique and kind of interesting ideas that people can engage with in real time. Yeah, I think the sports, I mean, health and fitness, everything's virtual just to survive right now. I mean, they've got to thrive and survive. The only way to be sustainable is a lean on tech. We have a big sports CEO of an NBA team coming on in two or three weeks and who I've been talking to on and off. And, you know, they're, they're consumers, they're fans are rabid. They are so supportive through all of this. And a lot of the competitions we have, at least with some of these big sports teams, is the technology. How do we engage our fans? How do we keep them more engaged and everything? And right now, I think the sports guys are embracing technology to stay more in touch and keep their fans there until we all know it's safe to go back in the seats again. So I just, I think there's a few industries that are a little bit more savvier, who are more excited, who are looking for technology and how to embrace all this stuff to keep themselves going. And I think their comeback is going to be tremendous because they're doing it the right way to stay sustainable by leaning and using tech. So I'm hoping that most people kind of go down that same path right now, because I think it's the only way we're going to come out of this, a tighter, bigger community with more benefits and smarter as a whole. So we're kind of hoping for that. But what are you working on right now? I mean, I don't know if you could talk about this or not, John. Is there anything particular right now that you're launching that's live that you want people to know about? Log in, tune in. Is there anything we could chat about with you? Yeah, I, I can, you know, a couple of cool things that we've executed, you know, a couple of our clients are in, you know, they don't want to publicly talk about it before we launch, but we did something with the, uh, the platform Genius. They launched a, uh, a live interactive kind of concert series called Genius Live. 
And we did this live performance by Wiz Khalifa, who was, you know, in his home in LA, live streamed on the Genius platform. And the audience could, for free, kind of go along in this journey with him and help, you know, pick various songs in the set list, which, you know, that's been done before. But the other cool things were for $10, you could join uh, a Zoom party and we would, you know, broadcast the members of the Zoom party together in, in, throughout the concert. And then for $100, you could uh, get a shout out from him in real time during the show. And for $200, he would ask, uh, he would answer a question that the audience had posed. And, you know, the, the top, those top $100, $200 options were, were sold out given the run of the show. And the proceeds went to his philanthropy, I think the Black Empowerment Program in Pittsburgh, where he's from. I thought that was one of the most interactive, kind of cool, engaging Very experiences. Cool. Really cool. Along with, you know, if you saw Post Malone's show on YouTube where he did an entire set of Nirvana music. And I think it presented him as an entirely different artist and a Travis Barker on drums. And it was really this you know, rock set, which I don't think people look at him as, but I think for us, you know, the other things we did a really interesting music festival for Superfly who you know, created this small business live festival to draw awareness to, you know, largely, you know, minority and women owned businesses that had been adversely affected by the pandemic. And the kind of cool thing was, the artists performed their sets in these venues. So you would see two chains doing a show at a soul food restaurant in Atlanta, uh, Brandy Carlisle in a record shop in Seattle, Leon Bridges at a, at a coffee shop in Fort Worth and Brittany Howard in an independent music venue in Nashville, all as this kind of live show that we extended out to all of the social platforms, you know, brought to the viewers, the partners were AT&T, GoDaddy, uh, Square and TikTok and Vistaprint. And the live show was also hosted by DJ Jazzy Jeff, who would give updates on the, you know, you could donate throughout the entire run of the show, but it ended up, you know, raising a million dollars. And the cool thing was sometimes the artists would interview the business owners and they would talk about what they're going through as small business owners and what the adversity they've had to overcome it was really kind of interesting moment for us as a, as a, you know, a technology service and producer to kind of really see this content through the lens of these business owners and, you know, in partnership with the artists. So, and by the way, we're seeing more of these things coming through the door where, you know, some interesting projects in the next uh, 60 days as well. Interesting. Let me ask you a question, John, just curious on your input on this. We did a big market intelligence survey with Billboard and a few other of our client partners like two years ago, three years ago. And one of the questions was, are music labels adapting to new technologies? And 72% of the executives out in the industry from, you know, content, brands, music said they are not adapting to new technologies and didn't see a bright future. Do you think this is going to turn around the labels and that music industry because of the streaming services are now the only way to go? Or do you think it's just going to go in a whole different direction. Wow, that's an interesting number. That's really high too. It's really high. We were in shock, but they just feel that, and you know this from the, seeing the Spotify and digital came out and mobile got bigger. The labels are not adapting to new technology. And everybody said they are not adapting to technology. They don't, they don't see a future. But I kind of feel right now may change that and may give the music industry a chance to come back. I mean, how do you feel about that? I, I agree. I think they're, you know, they they have they're going to be forced to, especially since 
you know, their, uh, their talent is not able to drive revenue through touring right now, which is the bulk of their, of their income. And I think the labels need to then make, you know, innovation and technology available uh, to them. So, you know, I guess I wouldn't, uh, you know, largely dispute that number, but hopefully it's going to change. And I, I think it is, I, you know, I look at, I think Sony is a very forward thinking, innovative company because they're so diversified with things like PlayStation and devices that, that they make. So I think their fingers on the pulse of technology. Uh, the others, I think, you know, might be, hopefully they're not too far behind. I think, I think Warner's looking at the tech space a lot more seriously. And you, to your point, you can't argue with the success of, you know, Apple and Spotify. And also you might, you know, probably throw in Tidal, Pandora, Deezer, uh, et cetera. You know, they're, if anything, those companies seem to be growing and they're getting great data, great feedback. And by default, if I'm the record label, I probably need to figure out some sort of, you know, technical and innovation strategy to remain relevant and remain, you know, in the, in the, um, in the lives of these. I remember I, I did read an interesting story. I think it was a thesis by um, Steve Stout, I forget the name of his company, Unlimited, where, you know, Drake was coming up to the end of his record label agreement. And the thought was he's going to go independent, like, like Chance the Rapper, which is going to change the dynamic, you know, for Universal, I think, which is his label. But, you know, I don't know how that lends itself out, but it's interesting. I, you know, I, I think, you know, I know the labels get a lot of, they get criticized quite a bit, but I found, you know, there's a lot of smart people working at these companies too. And, you know, their, their heads aren't buried in the sand and they want to see, you know, success for, for the music business as a whole. So I'm optimistic. You know, I, I think that all of those companies are going to uh, be able to succeed and hopefully, you know, live in harmony with technology because, it's going to be a very difficult road to go down if, if you're not embracing, you know, technology. I know, like, we worked with Sony for a while on their gaming and music side, and we launched the album of the day. So I know Sony Digital really got aggressive and tried to adapt and embrace the whole digital side of this. It's just going to be interesting right now to see, you know, kind of who wins and who loses at the end of this race right now. Whoever I mean, innovates, right? It's, it's all about innovation technology. And this is kind yeah. of what, so I, you know, I was working on a book that's coming out in two weeks. And my whole big thing since the beginning of the year was lean on tech to thrive and survive. The only way to be sustainable is to lean on tech right now. And then COVID hit and it's just more and more people don't have any choice. Their trajectory has got to be technology to create and distribute content. That's just where it's going to be. But at the end of the day, content is still king. And it's funny because we would say this years ago. You know, years later, no matter where you're at, content is still king. The only difference is how we're innovating a way to drive it out to reach the masses. But we're kind of like back to full circle again, taking everything that was back then, we're now bringing it to the forefront again. It's great points. And, I, you know, I'm a big believer. I think one of the challenges is that people way overthink and they way overcomplicate things. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think the experience that technology enables is one of quality and you should emphasize that without making it overly, overly complicated. And, you know, I deal with a lot of this in, in my job. You know, if we're, if we're working with an agency on behalf of a brand and there's a music show, they say, they open the conversation with, we want to do something that's never been done before. And to me, that's, you know, especially in live streaming, which is still a pretty new, I've been in it for forever, but I'm not you know, denying it's, it's still a new kind of medium for most. And I, I would rather say to them, why don't you rethink that strategy and focus on 
what's the longest watch time you can create for, for the brand client here. And then I don't give you that, that platform. And then you tell us what you want to do. Do you want to introduce a product? Do you want to deliver a message? Do you want to talk about a cause that you're aligned with? And you'll have that six, 10, 12, 14, hopefully, you know, 30 minute window with that audience. And so I, you know, I think people approach tech as, they way, way overthink it. And there's an easy, you know, I think of the most successful platforms in tech today are known for being clean. And I think Amazon is, is the best example. You've always got that white background. Everything's crystal clear. It flows. If you want to buy something, it's a seamless process to get it to the shopping cart and exit and get out of there. And I think that's, you know, I think that's a key kind of fundamental practice that gets lost a lot when, when we get into these conversations. I just think this could be a whole other conversation about Creative content between Netflix and Amazon, just because Amazon was doing really well with user content. And then Netflix has spent so much money creating new content. Amazon's kind of fallen down a little bit on, they have Amazon Prime, so we stream a lot of stuff on Amazon. But I haven't, you know, their music platform is starting to pick up some speed. But Amazon also, what I love about Amazon, besides how clean and simple the process is, is they are putting a lot of money in to be such a sustainable company in the next five, 10 years on the footprint side. So I do think they're doing something right. And they're creating so much more content to deliver it via streaming, music, videos, movies and whatnot. It's, it's going to be almost like the wild, wild west again, like you said. The bubble's going to be coming back. We're going to be in a bubble. Everybody's going to come off quarantine, get back out. And I just think it's going to be interesting to see how much the industry and the market explodes like in a good way into where it needed to be a year or two ago. So I just got to stand back and <laughs> the unknown right now and watch it out. But like, I feel like we could go on for another hour about brand identity and streaming and entertainment. So John, we would love to have you back, kind of check in with you in a few months to see how we're hitting up first and second quarter of next year. Cause so I just think there's so much more to be said. This is not a open and shut conversation and topic. It's a evergreen in nature because it's constantly evolving and moving right. and growing based on how we're shifting in general in the economy and with COVID. For everybody who's listening in on this, because we are on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, all the big music guys, how can anybody reach you and Bulldog? Uh, we are Bulldog DM, Diaz and David, msandmary.com, and we're on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And I'm John at BulldogDM.com. I'm just going to ask, because I know we're social media friends as well as I'm associates. Bulldog DM, was that after one of your dogs? Yeah, I've uh, I've had bulldogs now. I'm on my <laughs> third and fourth. I've had them, geez, since the 90s. And I've just always liked uh, the breed. You know, I could ask that question a lot. And one of the things I like about a bulldog is it's very deliberate. And I've always thought that, you know, sometimes technology is it's not explained properly and there's an easy way to say, you know, to explain things. And like, uh, you know, you always use that, that uh, strategy. Like I want, I want to explain where I can convey it to, you know, my grandparents or my father or my mother. And I think that's, you know, kind of the follow along with the company name and logo is, you know, Bulldog is very clear. It's very deliberate. Plus they're great. They're great dogs too. So yeah, they have cute squishy faces. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> 
John Petroselli at Bulldog Dion. It's such a pleasure to catch up with you and to have you back on our podcast. We're going to have you back again soon. But for now, we're going to wrap. This is Sarah Mill with Access Entertainment, Michelle Koshman, AMB Publicity, Meet and Maven Podcast. We'll see you guys as we drop our next podcast next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.